right, well, if you could begin making your way back to your seats, and as you do, grab your Bibles. I don't often pull double duty, um, so if you've been here for any number of weeks, you probably realize that. If this is maybe your first week and you're wondering, why is this guy doing everything? Um, it's not the plan. <laughs> I walked out of my house this morning and started walking down Church Street, and uh, my, my phone starts ringing. And I pull it out, and I look, and it's Damien, and I go, oh, no, this is not, like, there's not many good reasons why he's calling me at 7.15 in the morning. Well, he's not feeling well, and so he was calling to uh, let me know that and let me know that he wasn't going to be coming in, and with what he described, we should just be all very grateful that he's at home and not here. Um, so I'm going to keep that with the Wagaman household as best we can. But uh, it is good to be here with you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, grab them and head on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be working through the next set of verses as we're just, just stepping through the book of 1 Corinthians. And last week, um, Paul gives us this metaphor about what evangelism looks like and how you and I both individually and collectively are to be thinking about evangelism. And he says, look, here's the picture I want you to have. I want you to think of evangelism as a field or as a garden, perhaps. Some of you are waiting and counting down the days when you get to get outside, get to plant the garden, the risk of frost is no longer there, let's get the dirt tilled up, let's get the rose made, let's get the seed in the ground. Um, any, of, any of you growing things from seed currently? Anybody have seeds in their house with growth lamps? And Okay, alright, my father-in-law, he, he, we get to his house in March and it's like, it's, it's, like a, it's, it's, it's amazing. He has plants everywhere and he like, carries them outside when it's sunny and carries them back inside when it's not and and he he gets ready and he is just crazy excited and his grandfather um, owned acres and acres and acres of Lancaster County farmland and that was part of the family business years ago so it kind of runs in my wife's blood um, and it's rubbed off on me and so we're looking forward to getting outside and getting things raked and tilled and ready to go. And that's what Paul wants us to think about when we think about evangelism. Think about evangelism as planting seed. And not just the seed that we say, and that's certainly one aspect of it, but also Jesus gives us a way to think about evangelism and, and goes as far to say that believers just don't plant seed with their words when they tell people about Jesus. They themselves are actually seed. That have been planted. And those ideas have greatly informed what we've tried to capture with the words Christ-centered witness. That you and I have been put in a mission field right now where we are by Jesus to love and serve people and to tell them about Jesus. So there's both aspects of that. That we, we are seed that have been planted. And as the seed that we've been planted, we get to share about the gospel. Well, that metaphor goes forward, and Paul unpacks it even more so. And, and the, the primary context of last week's passages was, was for, for, for him to continue to address the leader issues that the congregation had 
there in Corinth. They thought a Paul was better, or some thought Paul was better, others thought Apollos was better, and they found themselves being divided about who they thought was better, who might have baptized them, who told them about Jesus, who maybe discipled them along the way. They're fighting about this, and he says, no, look, um, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So that neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. There is this emphasis on God's sovereign rule and reign over evangelism. You and I are called to plant seeds. You and I are called as the planted seed to be in our mission fields. Where we live, where we work, where you go to school, the different groups that you might find yourselves a part of. For whatever reason you find yourselves a part of them. Those are your mission fields. We've been called to be faithful in planting and watering. And it's God who gives growth. Now, at the end of that, in verse 9, Paul shifts the metaphor almost dramatically. If you look at verse 9 with me, just thinking about where we're going to get to this morning, he says this, for we are God's fellow workers. All right, He's not saying there that we work with God. He's saying God owns us as his workers. That's the idea. And then that ownership goes forward. You are God's field. All right, we were ready for that because he's been talking about planting. He's been talking about watering. We, we knew the field was a metaphor that was getting brought forward. But then he shifts abruptly to say, and you are God's building. God owns you as a building. Hang on. How do fields and buildings go together? Well, they, they don't normally go together unless you're putting a building on a field. But that would not be what he's intending with these metaphors. He's making a dramatic shift from what we might commonly refer to, just in our circles, as evangelism to now discipleship. So when he unpacks the metaphor of building, it's now not so much with an evangelistic focus as it is in the how are you building as a worker the body of Christ. And it's interesting that the, 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 the picture even changes from a very, very heavy, heavy emphasis on God's sovereignty in causing growth to now how you and I are to think about our responsibilities as those a part of the building. We have responsibilities as those to plant and water these fields, but we have responsibilities to also build, and he's going to give us a different word picture, a different metaphor to try to understand what it is that he wants us to grasp. So let's just put a, a brief summary of our passage here up on the screen and then we're just going to find ourselves just walking through these big ideas along the way throughout this morning. So beginning in verse 9, we have what he just told us. You are God's building. Verse 10 is going to walk through the big idea that how we build matters. So we're not just a building, we're also the builders. And how we build matters. And there's one foundation, and nobody's relaying that and it's not just how we build that matters, it's also what we build with that matters. And verses 13 to 15 give us this idea that what we do, how we build, the craftsmanship, if you will, that we build with, and the materials that we used to build will be one day tested. They will be 
evaluated. And there will be rewards for what lasts, and there will not be rewards for what does not last. So that's the big idea of what we're going to try to unpack here this morning. So before we go any further, let's pray. And we're going to read through our passage and we'll just walk back through and step through these verses and try to understand what it is that Paul wants us to get. What the Holy Spirit inspired for him to write to this church and by extension us. So would you pray with me? God in heaven, we thank you for the morning that you've given us. And God, we pray that you would help us to understand your word. God, you've spoken in your word. You've revealed to us what it is that you want us to have. And we want to draw near and we want to listen. We want to understand. We want to know how it applies to our lives. And we want to know how... We need to think about these things. And so, God, I just pray that you would just come and do that. Those are not anything, those are not things done by ourselves alone. They're done by your Holy Spirit as he gives us understanding of all the things that you have freely given us. And so, God, we want to understand these things. And we pray that you would give that understanding. So as we think about these truths individually, God, help us to see that, that how we build matters and what we build with matters. And yet also collectively, as we just think about these things as a church. God, we want to be a church that follows well after what it is you've commanded your church to be and that honors Jesus and is busy and working hard at making disciple, making disciples. And so God, help us to grow in those ways and to be those people. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Well, let's go to verse 10 here and we'll read through 15 and just kind of get the big picture and then we'll step through and begin working the smaller details. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. Now, verse 15 is a hard verse. We're going to get there. We're going to come back to that. Because um, that one's one of the challenging verses in the New Testament, trying to unpack and understand what exactly 
Paul here is saying. But as we work through, it, it's going to become a little bit more clear, I believe. But let's go back to then verse 10, where we find ourselves is that the truth being how we build matters. You are God's building, but then Paul says you're not just the building, you're also the builders. And how we build matters. And Paul talks about his foundation laying work according to the grace of God given to me. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Some of your translations have the word skilled in there as mine does. The word Paul actually uses there um, is wise. And it's the same word that has shown up all the way through chapter 1, chapter 2, now into chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians where he has been contrasting worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Those words wisdom and foolish show up time and time again, he comes back to that here. And he does so to just continue this word play that is taking place. And so part of the big idea is that what he has done in laying this foundation of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to the world and maybe to those thinking more like Corinthians than Christians, it looks like it's foolish. It looks like the energy was misplaced. It looks like the foundation wasn't laid correctly. But he challenges that understanding. He goes, no, wait a minute. No, like a wise builder, like a skilled builder, I laid a foundation. That word builder is actually where we get our English word architect from. Like a skilled architect. I laid a foundation. And now somebody else is building upon it. And it's interesting, he doesn't hear reference Apollos the way he did earlier in the section right before where he talks about I planted Apollos water but God gave the growth. Here, Apollos is not in view and the the words used and the idea now becomes there, there may actually be lots of somebodies building upon it. And he gives this command, take care how you build. Let each one take care how he builds Upon it. That's where the command is for you and I. How we build matters. Take care how you build. Now, I think it's important for us to just again remind ourselves that Paul's not here picking out a false teaching, he's not picking out heresy. Where he has had to identify those in other letters to other churches, he very clearly does so. And doesn't pull any punches about those that are teaching what should not be taught. And the content of what they're being taught. That's not in view here. The idea is not one of false teaching. He's not condemning here a specific heresy. The issue that he has in mind, both for the individuals in the church and the church as a whole, its collective, is that they need to not approach building with worldly wisdom and human philosophy. Because that is what actually is foolish. And it's God's wisdom that the world will say is foolish that actually yields power. And how we build matters. So let's try to unpack that a little bit. Try to give you some examples to maybe get our minds wrapped around this. The first would be just in the category of worldly human wisdom or 
philosophy, and we've, we've chatted about this along the way, um, where the, the easiest standard of measurement for corporations in America is the profit and loss statement. Okay, did we make more money than we made last quarter? Did we lower our expenses? And did, are, we, are we trending upward in our revenue stream? I mean, that, that's just the easiest way for corporations to evaluate themselves. And, and stock owners and shareholders are going to get those quarterly reportings. And it gets, it gets paraded around the news at how poorly or well Apple does and this, that, and the other thing. And it's just the easiest way to have that measured. And that's what we find ourselves all over the place. Well, that is, that, that's a worldly philosophy. In, in the business world, it's not in and of itself inherently wrong, but if we just simply applied that standard to the church, we'd find ourselves in a little bit of hot water um, in the sense that when, when what drives what the church does is only how many people are in the seats and how much our offering was, you can very quickly find yourself tempted to begin shifting to find more seats filled and more offerings received. Now, I'm not against full seats. I'm not against lots of offerings. So there's, there's, like a, there's, a, there's a line here that we've got in every one of these examples. There's a line. Like, we can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. We've got to understand how this plays itself out. But there is a very subtle temptation. If the goal is, let's pack the room and have lots of money come in, how are we doing that? And it can be done really, really faithfully. It can be done really, really poorly. Okay, not every large megachurch has compromised the gospel. Not every large church of hundreds or thousands of people has found themselves building with poor materials. It's not at all what I'm saying. Some of the, the, the men who have most shaped me in ministry, that I, I, I will read their books and listen to their teaching and consult their resources. I pastor large churches. It's not wrong to do so. But I will tell you, that's not their goal. It's what's happened, but it's happened because it's not been their goal. So there's a factor into that that we got to be careful of. Okay, what do we do with the words traditional, contemporary? How do we, how do we approach ministry and even a Sunday morning gathering like that. I told you last week I was with some pastors in Ohio and um, one of them asked me one night at dinner, hey, is your church traditional or contemporary? And I go, Dave, I'm not sure how to actually answer that question. What do you mean by those words? And, um, and, and my, my point was to say, um, if we define traditional as we're hymns only, we're not traditional, but if you define contemporary, it, depending on how you define the terms, we find ourselves on either side of that, but we can get ourselves a little goofy if we're more just concerned about those issues than what it is that we're actually singing about. And, and so what we try to do, just as it relates to music, because that ends up being perhaps the powder keg, um, is we try to focus on Christ, Christ alone. And where there are hymns that we can sing that do that, awesome. And where there are non-hymns that we can sing and do that, awesome. But that's our focus. So there's a way to have some worldly 
philosophy and wisdom creep in that we just have to be careful about. Here's another way I think we can find ourselves, and this one's going to be more at the individual level than the collective level. Um, There is a very real temptation that exists in bodies where um, you and I will be tempted to come in and present a, a persona of perhaps who we want people to think we are rather than who we might be. And, and so, I, I, you know, it, it, maybe it's not as prevalent here as other churches that I've been a part of, but, you know, the, the, the guy that y- you might know his life's a bit of a train wreck outside of church, but every morning on Sunday he comes in with his suit and says the right things and sings loudly. And it, 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 there can be that temptation for us to present ourselves as something and we can get ourselves in a whole lot of trouble there. Uh, we, can, we can become the fine people. How you doing this morning? Fine. Well, how was work this past week? It was fine. We can be the fine people because we perhaps have been wounded in the past or perhaps we don't want to let people in. I mean, there's, there's a whole host of reasons why we can be the fine people. But again, there's, there's a line there. We don't want to be a place that, that, that celebrates somebody just living in outward disobedience to the Lord. But we also don't want to be the place that will say to somebody who comes in seeking to repent and follow the Lord, you're not welcome here because you don't look like us. You're not one of the fine people or you carry a little too much baggage or you don't have words that we think you need to have at this point. I mean, we, we can get ourselves real goofy real fast when we allow some of that, that, that pervasive attitude that what is on the outside matters a whole lot more than what's on the inside. We gotta we gotta walk that balance between being you know, like borderlining celebrating open sin, which we can certainly not ever do, but also not being the big brother who wants to scorn the person or the little brother coming back from and in repentance. So we gotta gotta be careful there because there's there's ways that how we build matters. Our tone here in this place and on Wednesday nights and when, when we have groups that get together, it, it, it matters. It matters how we interact with one another. It matters how we respond to one another. It matters how we love one another. Uh, let me give you another one. This perhaps is a little bit more collective than individual. Um, there, there exists a, a whole lot of, um, of movements and philosophy of church ministry um, that place a heavy, heavy emphasis on entertainment on Sunday morning. And that can take a variety of shapes and forms. And, and it's probably rooted in a really good place. Generally speaking, it's, it's rooted in, well, if nearly 80% of every high schooler that graduates and goes to college never steps foot in a church again, um, we need to find ways to connect with this next generation. I mean, that, that's a good goal. It really is. I mean, there's some genuine love for and concern for the, the massive amount of teenagers that are leaving the church once they get out from underneath mom and dad's rule and authority and household. 
Um, but again, how you approach that matters tremendously. And so there, there were, are some, some loudly. I've got some of their books on my shelves that will say, well, what we need to do on, on Sunday mornings is we need to entertain. We need to find ways to entertain. And so, um, you know, let's, let's, have, let's have a 15-minute little devotional thought instead of opening God's Word because we can't, can't actually manage to, you know, think about what God has said in his word, but let's just give a little kind of crumbs of some devotional thoughts there. And, and again, how we build matters. It will one day be revealed as to what we have built with. How we build matters. And here's just another big idea as we think about all of us as builders. This is not just a pastor thing. This is not just an elder thing. This is not just a deacon thing. This is an us thing. Let each one take care how he builds upon the foundation. That's you and I. Now, leaders set the pace. There's a greater responsibility given to leaders to set the pace. There, there's, there's going to be a stricter level of judgment for those guys, for, for those guys and that, that have been called to be elders. And there will be, there will be a, a different level of, of evaluation for those men and women that, that serve as deacons. I mean, there, there is a, a pace-setting responsibility there, and there will be evaluation of that. But this is not something that just happens by the pastor. Or by the elders. And so just to maybe give you boots on the ground ways to think about that. Um, it's not a better prayer if I pray it. It's not a better baptism if I'm the one getting wet with you. It's not a better hospital visit. If somebody else from our church comes and visits. We all are a part of building the church. We all have to take care because how we build matters. And in that sense, perhaps to change the metaphor for us, to maybe just get a different word picture, we're stewards of this place. There will, be com- there will come a day when I am no longer the pastor at this church. I don't know when that day is. I could die tomorrow, and it could be tomorrow. I could retire in 40 years, and it could be then. But there will become, and there will come a day when I am no longer the pastor of this church. And the question that I try to keep before me is, what am I going to leave to the person who comes after? It's a question that we all share a responsibility for. What are we leaving for those who will come after us? Because there's going to come a day where you're not in this church any longer either. God may send you somewhere. You may move. For you know, There's a variety of reasons. But what are you going to leave? What's the legacy that will be left? And we look with fondness and favor to a Mary Payne and a, a Dottie, and, and we, we have living legends, I'll call you legends, gentlemen, um, in Ralph and Jay, and we get Marguerite every once in a while when she's feeling well. I mean, these individuals, they're part of the reason we even have a church, but at some point, the Lord will call them home. At some point, the Lord will call us home. We're stewards 
collectively. We all have something to give. We certainly have all, all of something to receive. But when we come together, we need to not just be asking the question, how am I going to be built up, but also how can I build? Not just how am I going to be encouraged. It's not a bad question to ask. And I hope that when you come, you're encouraged, you're, you're exhorted, you're equipped. But you also have something to give. Not just something to receive. That will get unpacked further come chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians when we step into what Paul has to say about spiritual gifts and how God has gifted every one of us, those that have trusted in Jesus for salvation, God has given us gifts for the purpose of building up the body. The metaphor is exactly the same. You have been gifted by God. You are not lacking in any spiritual gift. You have been gifted by God to build up the body. That's a collective sense, but it's also an individual sense. And how we build matters. It's part of what we've tried to capture with the ideas of worship and serving, community groups and witness. This idea of becoming disciple-making disciples through those four avenues as is really the primary means in which we are transformed more and more to look like Jesus and have the opportunity to pour ourselves out into the lives of other people for that transformation to take place as well. But how we build matters. Paul continues in verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It serves as a reminder for us that we're not laying foundational stones. Christ is the cornerstone. We're building on it. How we build matters, but then in verse 12, we begin to see that what we build matters as well, or what we build with matters as well. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation... With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. Paul tells us that what we build with matters. Now, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Some of your translations may say stubble. Kind of an idea of like byproduct, like what, what's left at the end of grain harvesting and those types of um, things. This is language that actually rings from some Old Testament instructions that were given about the building of Solomon's temple. And it happened again this morning. It keeps happening. Kevin and I never coordinate these things, but he was talking about Solomon's temple in CE class today. And here, here I am with my slides already put together and everything. And we're going to think about that a little bit here as well because Paul is setting up for us what he's going to unpack next week where he goes as far as to say, you're not just a random building. You're actually the temple of God himself. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Lord and that his spirit dwells within you? There's an amazing, an amazing spiritual truth. A, a, from the Old Testament perspective to the New, it, this is earth shattering in its perspective. To so try to unpack and understand what does it mean that I'm now the temple 
and that collectively when we gather, we, we gather as temples, but the temple. Well, let's think about some of the materials of the temple. And I just want us to get just a, just a picture of, of how God lavished through David in this particular context the provisions needed for the building of the temple. And so it is David that says in 1 Chronicles 22, With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond weighing. For there is so much of it, timber and stone too, I have provided to these you must add, you have an abundance of workmen, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working, gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work, the Lord be with you. This is not the only place that the materials of the temple are listed, uh, but it maybe is one of the more concise places that they are listed. So let's just do a little math for the fun of it. I, I threw up some trigonometry last couple weeks ago, but we're not going to get nearly that in-depth. Right? No Sokotoa this morning, um, but 100,000 talents of gold. You might have a footnote in your Bible that says a talent is equal to 75 pounds. So, that is 7.5 million pounds of gold. There was a million talents, or it wasn't a million, or it was a million. Let me go back. A million talents of silver, okay? So 75 million pounds of silver. 75 million pounds of bronze. That's a lot of precious metals. I had a buddy once remind me that all of those metals still exist today. Some of you might be wearing them. Let's, let's do the math a little further just for the fun of it. 142.5 billion dollars worth of gold. 16.8 billion dollars worth of silver. 120 million dollars worth of bronze or yeah. That's just based on whatever currency rate was or exchange rate was true on Friday. So I just googled what's the value of a pound of gold and did a little quick math. God lavished through David and through others in the nation of Israel the provisions for his temple. There was no expense spared. And I think it's part of what God wants us to understand and Paul's use of this metaphor of us as a building, but not just any building. We're the temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells within you? So take care how you build. And what you use to build matters. So gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, they will be tested. And verse 13 says that each one's work will become manifest. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. I don't believe that we should see moral distinguishment between the gold and the hay. Okay, so I'm not 
let me say it a different way. The wood, hay, and stubble, I, I think I went King James on you there. Um, the wood, hay, and straw is not sinful building materials. They are things that just won't last. So it's not like there's a qualitative difference here in the metaphor between gold, hay, gold silver, and bronze or precious stones and the wood, straw, and hay as if one was not sinful and one was. So what are we trying to unpack and understand here? Some things will last differently than other things. Some things will matter more than other things. So I, every once in a while, get to do a little work and design t-shirts. It's fun. I enjoy it. We're actually going to be working at getting another round of t-shirts and order forms for you guys to update some of your grace swag. Might even get a hat version this time around. Like, I enjoy those things. It's fun. It's not going to last. It's going to get burned. I mean, your t-shirt, if your house caught on fire, might actually literally get burned one day. It's not enduring. And so I just got to be careful. Where am I putting the majority of my time? You know, there can be a temptation, I think even, at least in my world, and perhaps how we think of this collectively, that, you know, like the, some of the, the, the set designs that we do at different times and the lights, like those are, those are perhaps matter more than they actually do. Well, I think atmosphere matters a big deal. I love the colored lights. I, I think Mike does a tremendous job getting us some creative ways to just try to conceptualize what the text is saying. But that foam board's going to burn. The LED lights are going to burn one day. I mean, they're not decisive parts to building. And I think that's part of how we need to understand the gold, silver, precious stones as it relates to the wood, straw, and hay. There are things we can spend our time on that aren't sinful, but aren't going to matter nearly as much. And I don't really think the Lord's going to reward me for t-shirt design. And so i got to be careful. How do I invest my time? Where am I spending my time? Is it on what actually will matter most and will endure? Because there will be a day when my work, when your work, will be evaluated or revealed as what it is. It will be tested by fire. It'll be examined. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Go to verse 14. There are rewards to those who build with the precious things, the things that perhaps matter most, that endure the test. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a Reward. So, in the context of a fire, gold will survive where hay will be very, very quickly consumed. And that's what Paul is wanting us to see. There will be a day of testing. There will be a day of judgment, of examination for what you and I, as believers, as not just the building, but also the builders, 
have spent our time doing in being a part of building the body? How have we used our spiritual gifts? How have we invested our time? How have we used our, our, our talents, just the, just the things that maybe aren't spiritual gifts, but just the things that we're good at? How have we used our treasure? Those things will be evaluated one day. And the work that endures, where we've placed our, uh, the emphasis in the right places, there will be rewards for. But there will not be rewards for the t-shirt designs. And I'm okay with that. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I told you verse 15 was a tricky verse in part because if we just read that verse, it sounds like you and I are going to have to endure some fire to get some of the the remaining impurities out of us. That salvation is coming, but we got to get purged first. This is actually the one verse in the New Testament you could twist and develop the doctrine of purgatory out of. Well, let's just notice what the text has said up to this point. It is not the person who is being tested by fire. It is their work that is being tested by fire. The person will be rewarded for the work, but it is not the person, it is not the builder who will have the test. It will be their work. But I also want to just direct your attention to chapter 1 in verse 4. Because there, again, in setting the stage for this entire book, Paul tells us in reminding the Corinthians and us about who they first are. And he says this, look, you have been enriched in every way. You are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Past tense, God's given you everything already that you need. Present tense, you have every gift that you need. You don't have all the gifts, but you have gifts, and you're not lacking in any gifts. And then look at the future tense, come verse 8. Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there would be a, a massive contradiction in this book, in this letter, if in verse 8 of chapter 1, Paul says, look, in the day of Christ Jesus, he's going to declare you as guiltless. And then a couple chapters later, he says, in the day of Christ Jesus, you're going to have to be purged before you actually become guiltless. Now, the purging is nowhere in the text. The fire evaluates the work. It does not evaluate the worker. And so the salvation that happens and the image that gets used is just that of a building. And so think about having built something, perhaps it's your own home, and as terrible as it is to think about it, it catches fire. Well, if your home was constructed of very flammable material, it would engulf in flames much faster than if it was built completely out of cinder block. And that's part of the image here. There will be combustible materials that will be more quickly consumed, but there are building materials that are not. I flashed this earlier and didn't intend to, but that is one of the only buildings that was and withstood the great Chicago fire. If you've ever been on Michigan Avenue, Carrie and I would usually go to Michigan uh, Avenue once a year when we lived out in Indiana. That's one of the old water towers there. And in 1871, there was a fire that raged 
through the city of Chicago. It gets blamed on a bunch of different things. My favorite is Mrs. O'Leary's cow. Um, kicked over the lantern and the thing went ablaze. But the, the pervasiveness of the damage is because of poor building materials, really the absence of some building codes and structure around that. And this is 1871. Some of these things weren't nearly as developed as they are now. Um, it was really dry at that point. There had been very little rain and there was some 17,000 buildings consumed in the Great Chicago Fire. It's just, it's just an amazing, an amazing event in the history of that city. And the water tower stood. And in part it stood because it was built, well, <laughs> completely out of stone. And that's what Paul is wanting us to consider. So it's the image he's wanting us to have. There are things that we can build with that just won't last. Do, do t-shirts matter in some degree? Some of you are wearing them this morning. I love wearing mine. They don't matter come eternity. But how we love each other does. How we encourage each other does. The tone with which we speak to each other does. The emphasis and, and what we keep trying to direct each other back to does. And we're all a part of this building process. And it will be, and if we build with the right things, it will be time and treasure and talents that are invested, not just spent or wasted. For just kicks, I did this math on Friday. Um, if Carrie and I would take what we currently are setting aside for some retirement and added what we have contributed to the church in 2018, and then we did that for 30 years, by the time we hit retirement age, we'd have $3 million in the bank. Probably shouldn't have done the math, but... But that's... That's an illustration of this invitation God's asking us to consider, of this deal. There will be heavenly rewards for the work that's done and the resources that are invested and the time that is invested and the talents that are invested. Those things will last. Three million dollars in the bank's not going to last. But as we think about building, we're all builders. And what we build with matters. And how we build matters. Let's pray. God, help us to build well, to build with the right things, to build with a love for one another and a kindness to one another and a mercy and a, and a grace that reflects what you have extended to us. God, we don't want to just build uh, just we don't want to build 
buildings for the sake of buildings. God, we don't want to find ourselves consumed with nickels and noses. We want to be faithful to what it is that you have revealed in your word and what it is that you have called us to. God, help us to build well on this foundation of the gospel. Help us to not in any way, shape, or form ever try to lay down any other foundation but that. God, would you help us to build one another? See ourselves as builders. To think of not just how we might be impacted or encouraged or equipped or loved, but how we can extend that to someone else. God, help us to be busy and work hard at making disciple-making disciples. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.